Okay, friends, listen up. We're getting straight to the point with this one. We know how to make your holiday shopping way easier. We know that sounds like a big promise, but just like you all, we're busy and the holiday season can be overwhelming. We'd never tease you with a big promise like that and not deliver. So grab your holiday list, count the number of kids that you want to gift, and head to KiwiCo.com. You've heard us talking about how much we and our kids love KiwiCo, and this holiday season, we're getting serious with you. It's time to place some orders. KiwiCo's fun-filled monthly crates include everything needed for screen-free, hands-on enrichment. They bring together creative play, STEM, geography, and even cooking activities in a line of subscription options for everyone from babies to toddlers and teens 16 and older. KiwiCo crates make amazing gifts for the kids in your life, including your own. You know that we're partial to cooking. Lately, our families can't get enough of KiwiCo's Yummy Crate which delivers high-quality kitchen tools, three recipes, and two projects every month geared towards kids ages 6 to 14. And before each crate arrives, you also get a shopping list that includes alternative ingredients to accommodate different diets from vegetarian to vegan. But fear not if cooking isn't the thing that will spark excitement for the kids in your life. Through different seasons, our kids have loved the Kiwi Crate, Atlas Crate, and Tinker Crate, just to name a few. So be sure to check out all of KiwiCo's lines. There's something for every kid. So go now. I mean, keep listening to us <laughs> while you holiday shop. Didn't I just feed you listeners? Get 50% off their first month plus free shipping with the code D-I-J-F-Y at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Promo code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. And KiwiCo is the perfect gift for last-minute gifting, too. No shipping or wrapping required. It is really hard taking care of your own kids and your parents and working a full-time job and feeling like you're not doing a good job at any of them. You know, there are just times you feel like I'm just failing at everything. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Today's How We Feed episode comes from not just one, but two listener emails. We actually received them in the same week, which I think is really funny. It's interesting, right? Yeah, totally. And I and I have a feeling this is going to resonate with a lot of people. So sandwich generation families are families where the family cook is feeding their own kids and also their aging parents or in-laws or maybe even siblings at the same time. So today we're talking with Laura Mountain, who is just fabulous, a listener who reached out to us, who balances caring for her two teenage daughters and a toddler who live in her house with her, and then a whole bunch of other family members. She'll explain it. But we just want to say that obviously... Laura's family has its own unique structure. Everybody who's going to listen to this has a different relationship with family, different levels of support, depending on number of siblings, cousins, however it works. But as we were talking to Laura, I realized that there's so much more that this is about feeding other people. This is about pitching in in your community. This is about family. And also, you know, as young and healthy as our the two grandmas in my family are, you know, something can happen and, and it can happen at any time. It's very unpredictable. So I just got, I felt like I could talk to Laura forever. We, we were like, Laura, maybe you need your own podcast. Yeah, we did. And to your, to your point, like the other listener email that we got from Katie May, her, her 
sandwich generation experience is a little bit different too, because her, like the older folks that she's taking care of, adult folks that she's taking care of are in her home versus Laura's family is like a little close by, but like not living at home with her yet. And then she has in-laws who also require care who are a little bit further away. So like the travel presents a different layer of challenge too. Whereas I think there's also different challenges to having your parents live with you. Totally. We could turn every How We Feed episode into a How We Feed Sandwiches. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Sandwich Um, generation. Yes. I was trying to make a joke. We have a whole episode on sandwiches. (laughs) Sandwich generation. Sandwich podcast. We're a sandwich podcast. Actually, I think there are. I think there is a sandwich podcast. Okay. But before we chat with Laura, I I just have to, you know, invite you to join our Dinner I Just Feed You listeners community. Our free community is where listeners from all over the world come together to ask questions, offer advice, and share favorite tips and recipes with direct access to both of us. We'd love to have you as a supporting member of our community too. Recipe subscribers are about to get a whole new batch of holiday recipes in the coming weeks. Visit Didn't I Just Feed You backslash community to get all the details on how you can access those as well as our Didn't I Just Feed You bonus episodes. Okay, so I have a proposal, Megan. I think yes. that we should introduce Laura and jump right in with her. And then I have a whole bunch of questions for you. Okay, I love it so much. Laura Mountain lives in Illinois with her husband, two stepdaughters, ages 19 and 13, and her youngest daughter, who's only three. Laura and her husband are living the sandwich generation life, caring not only for their kids, but also for her dad, who's permanently disabled, her mom, who has recently battled three different kinds of cancer and her father-in-law who's battling ALS and is mostly confined to a wheelchair. Laura is a lawyer who works full-time training public defenders throughout Illinois. Seeing an unmet need, she has recently started offering training programs on how to make the most of life in the sandwich generation in hopes that at least some of the millions of parents who make up this group can feel seen and find helpful tips and advice. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for being with us. I want to start by just hearing more about your story. Like, tell us who lives with you, who you feed, and how this all came to be. Sure. So I live with my husband and my two stepdaughters. They're age 19 and 13. And our toddler, who's three. Um, Our oldest, 19, actually just moved into college, into a dorm, but she lives like five minutes away. So we see her still quite (laughs) frequently. Um, I bet you still feed her. We do, actually. (laughs) We do a, a decent amount of feeding her still. Yeah. And then I live in the same city as my parents. I live in the city that I grew up. And my dad, about nine years ago had a stroke and that left him permanently disabled. So he requires caretaking. And so he lives with my mom, who's her, who's the primary caretaker. We have some help that comes in during the day, but then um, we take turns kind of, I've, I'm one of a large family of um, seven brothers and sisters. So on Saturdays, we take turns kind of getting him out of bed, feeding him throughout the day, getting him into bed. Um, my mom has recently had um, colon cancer. She had to have surgery for colon cancer. And then the next year she had stage two breast cancer. So Mm -hmm. required treatment for that. And then had um, another kind of cancer the year after that. So she is doing well, but I'm sure anyone who 
has dealt with breast cancer or any other kind of cancer knows, there's a lot of medication that goes on after treatment to make sure that the cancer doesn't come back. And sometimes it's just trying to find the best of the worst side effects. So for her, the side effect that she's really dealing with is real pain in her joints, especially in her hands. Mm -hmm. So for a while, she wasn't able to like turn a doorknob, much less like turn on a a, a stove burner Mm -hmm. or open a can or anything like that. It's still kind of there. So we kind of try to help out as much as possible when it comes to, you know, cooking and feeding. I go over twice a week with dinner. Partly, I know my mom was like, I can do it, I can do it. Um, And that's probably true, but it's also nice to do. And it's a nice opportunity to see them and check on them. And then my um, father-in-law has ALS and he's um, six years into his diagnosis. So he is pretty much permanently in a wheelchair. They live 90 miles from us. So we go up there, you know, quite often or, you know, a lot of times we'll get, you know, a phone call. Hey, your dad fell. So we zip up there to help out in any way we can. My father passed away about five years ago and living far from him was really, really difficult at the end of his life. But also a relief, if I'm going to just be completely honest and transparent, because that like constant need and at the time, my kids were much younger. So I felt very overwhelmed by just trying to manage work and my own like little nuclear family. The thought of having to like run to help my stepmother and deal with my dad was overwhelming. But then at the same time, being far was really difficult I don't know if you want to share this, but it must you must go back and forth between feeling really grateful that you're able to pitch in this way, but then also being like, oh, this is so hard. (laughs) If I just lived far away, I wouldn't have to deal with all this. It's a lot. A hundred percent. Exactly. You know, there is a huge part of me that is so grateful. I chose to move. I've been living in the city. I chose to move back to my hometown, Mm -hmm. knowing that I would be close by. I have a brother that also lives in the same hometown as me. So we, you know, we share responsibilities. But I know that my time with my dad is not forever, nor with my mom. And there was a time actually on his birthday this year, he had been um, in a rehab center after a recent hospitalization. And we got a phone call saying, he's going back to the hospital. It's not looking good. And my thought was, I'm at peace with whatever happens because I saw him this morning. I took him, you know, <laughs> but it was it happened to be Easter day. So like I had, you know, taken him an Easter basket. Yeah. I was actually making him cupcakes at the time that I got the phone call. And I thought I've done everything that I could to help my dad and take care of him. And I've had so many opportunities to have so many conversations with him. He was an attorney just like me and his stroke did not affect his memory or his comprehension. So we're still able to have that bond. And, you know, I got married later in life. So my dad had already had the stroke and he wasn't able to walk me down the aisle and he wasn't able to, you know, have a first dance with me. But he has such an amazing relationship with my youngest daughter. You know, he calls her my ponytail girl. And so I'm so grateful mm. for that relationship that we have. Yeah. But then there are times where I sit in my car and just scream because it's it's really yeah. it is really hard taking care of your own kids and other you know, and and your parents and working a full-time job and feeling like you're not doing a good job at any of them. You know, there's yeah. just times you feel like I'm just failing at everything and there's just not enough time in the day. So it's it's definitely a conflicting feeling. I'm super happy and grateful to have the experience that I'm I'm living right now, but 
in the day-to-day moments, it can be really hard for sure. I appreciate your candor because I just think for other people in the same position, hearing that is validating because I just don't think that there's any right one way to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have learned that you can hold two conflicting feelings at the yes. same time. And I frequently do. Laura, I think it's kind of interesting when we asked you to tell us your story, you told us a lot about your family, but you didn't, you kind of left out the part where, oh yeah, in addition to all of that, all you're dealing with, you work full time, your okay. husband works full time. And I'm assuming also your brother who helps with your parents also works full time. So uh-huh. how are you all dealing with the logistics of feeding your parents and also taking care of your own families and mm-hmm. all the other obligations that come along with those? Well, we have a group chat of my brothers and sisters and I. Um, so we kind of let each other know like, hey, I, you know, I have Thursdays and Sundays is usually when I go over, but sometimes things come up. So I'll post something like, hey, can anyone go over on Sunday instead? We also have like a NFL style draft every quarter to pick our Saturdays <laughs> that we're going to take care of. You know, everybody takes a turn. And most of my siblings live, you know, within 90 miles. So it's okay. But it is, it definitely is a challenge. I will say planning ha- helps a lot in logistics. So for my family, we plan, we do meal planning two weeks at a time, um, mostly because I, hate it. I'm not good at like whenever it's time for me to think of dinner, I'm like, God, I can't even think of a meal, you know, but our, our kids really like to be a part of that process. I don't know if this is like normal for kids. I think it probably is, but they like to know what's for dinner every night. We yes. kind of stick to oh, it. Yeah. yeah. And so they kind of like to volunteer. Oh, how about this? How about that? And when we do the two week planning, our calendar is right next to like where we do the meal planning. So we kind of know like, okay, this is a, this is a night at my parents' house. So we need to do something that it's easy to transport. My mom does not really love it when people cook in her own kitchen. So we have to think like, okay, what <laughs> what can we cook here and easily transport there? And we have some like every, you know, our daughters really love breakfast for dinner. So we have it once a week, every time. That's when my stepdaughter from college, she comes home every week for that because she doesn't want to miss breakfast for dinner. And so we kind of <laughs> have some of those rituals that we were able to, you know, to have every week to week. And that really helps for us. The planning helps a lot, just logistically kind of knowing what's going on. Yeah. Do you have any special tools that you use, like a meal planning app or the like you talked about an NFL style draft, which is Mm -hmm. like such a great description of it? (laughs) Or is it literally just like old school, like a whiteboard and a text thread? And that's that. Yeah, it's like a whiteboard and a text thread. Although there are two two things that I have done is there's been a couple of weeks where, or two week periods where I was like, this is a really good two week slot. Like, well, like everything is really busy. Everything is chaotic, but we found foods that are easy to make that don't take a ton of time that everybody generally likes. So I like quick snap a picture of that and like save it in my favorites. And every now and then I'll go back. And then I will say, especially around the holidays, it gets very chaotic because there's school concerts and then there's all the extra, you know, going to see the lights and all these visiting Santa so totally. last year, I um I meal planned from November 15th through the end of the year. I just took one day where I did all of it. Whoa. I know <laughs> it took a long time, but um, it was amazing because we just didn't have to put that 
thought into it. You know, I ran it by my husband, obviously. And then I saved it. So I just pulled it out for this year. And I'm like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, past Laura. Um, so I kind of have that done, which is, I'm, I'm super happy that I did that. So not high tech, but just kind of setting myself up in the future to make life a little easier. Yeah. And then knowing, like doing what you've already done and you know what works, which I think a lot of people feel, especially people who identify as meal planners, aka me, like, oh, I have to do something new and exciting every once in a while. But like for some seasons, just plug and play is so, so helpful. Okay. I want to talk about your mom a little bit because I find this like the fact that she doesn't want, she, I appreciate being fed. She doesn't want you to cook in her kitchen. Was she like the primary cook for your family growing up and even before her cancer diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so she raised eight kids and is kind of done cooking, you know, like she did it. She never really <laughs> loved doing it. We ate a lot of the same, you know, spaghetti and tacos and, you know, sandwiches. And I kind of respect it. Right. And but also like there's this tension, not really tension, but it's just an, it's it's her home and it's her space. You know, it's I grew up in that house, but I also want to respect it's not those aren't my dishes. Those aren't, you know, it's so I think that's a little bit of just making sure that we know that she still had a household. And I think that's mm-hmm. fair. And I completely respect it. And also, like, it's the worst when somebody comes over, you know, makes a big meal, and then it's like, oh, that was so great. And then there's like everything to clean up. And that's not yes, helpful totally. either. Because especially with her hands, doing the dishes, taking out the garbage, all of that stuff is actually, it's really hard on her. And so we just try to be as unintrusive as possible yeah. while helping. I do love this idea of respecting her space. I feel like as you get older, researchers looked at places where older people, elders in the community really thrived. And I think they were originally looking at diet. It's like Mediterranean diet, like Icarus in Greece is a place I remember, of course, because I'm Greek. My mother was like, look, Icarus. I was like, I know. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Actually, the thing that they felt, the researchers felt was most powerful was that the elders in the community still had a role and still had this important autonomy. They were still very much integrated into the community the way that they always had been. And that that gives a very important sense of self that Uh is critical to your health, even though it's emotional and psychological, it's critical to your physical health. So for your mom, this idea that like, this is, I was head of household, this is my home, this is my space, this is how I've always operated in our family, to be able to maintain some semblance of that as all these other factors change, I bet is not just powerful for her psychologically, but really like great for her physically too, you know, to be able to put all of her energy into being as healthy as possible as she faces these different medical challenges. I definitely think that's true. And and I experienced that with my in-laws too. I mean, <laughs> the day before Thanksgiving last year, we got a text from my father-in-law saying, your mom just broke her foot, you know, and, and they were like having all their family over for Thanksgiving. So obviously awesome I was timing. like telling my husband like, <laughs> okay, well you just, you know, he was at work. I was like, just leave early, go up to see them. And her first response was, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Because <laughs> yeah. of course you want that autonomy and you want to know, make sure everything's okay. And so that is, it's, it's when, when it comes to caring and feeding our, our parents, learning that 
that line of how to be helpful because we're not going to let you know my father-in-law in a wheelchair my mother-in-law with a broken foot and 20 family members coming over for thanksgiving the next day it's just not we just don't feel comfortable being like okay well let us know how that goes um yeah so we want to be helpful but we also want to respect when they say you know we have it finding that is is constantly a you know a learning i don't think we've i don't think there's a way to really have it down pat all the time yeah there's, i will yeah. say my mom actually pointed me to a USA article a few years ago. <laughs> um, and I was like, this article talked to seniors about what they, what annoys them about their adult children. And a common thing had to do with food. And um, I don't like it when my kids come over and throw out all my expired foods or criticize the foods that I'm eating. And so I was like, okay, well, I will no longer do that. Um, and just kind of taking, learning that because again, it's like their autonomy. They're like, if I want to have food that was expired, I guess that's fine. I'm not going to feed that to my kids because I just don't feel comfortable with it. So again, it's like, do we eat the food that's in the house, which is usually all pretty good. I'm not saying like there's expired food, but it, um, or do we bring the food in? Um, and it's kind of like a bit of both. I think. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to think about the balancing of those two things. As we move into fall and winter cooking, we're stocking up in broth, the building block of our favorite soups, stews, and holiday dishes. While we love making homemade stock, that just isn't always possible. Which is why we asked Zoop to return as a sponsor. And y'all, they said yes. We couldn't be more excited to welcome them back. And the timing couldn't be more perfect for their super premium broths. Zoop makes it easy to add rich, homemade taste to all your cooking. Their flavor-forward broths include chicken, beef, veggie, and seafood, plus bone broths that you can sip. And now Zoop also offers culinary concentrates, small batch broth concentrates, and heat and eat soups. I'm obsessed with the culinary concentrates. They have unbeatable flavor, great for making sauces and boosting casseroles, pasta, and rice dishes. One eight-ounce jar makes up to 10 quarts of restaurant-quality broth. I also love Zoop soups. Each small batch-made soup starts with one of Zoop's home-style broths, giving it a simmered-all-day flavor. It's a perfect quick meal, whether for dinner or a work-from-home lunch. Just like their broths, Zoop Culinary Concentrates and Heat and Eat Soups are free of preservatives, artificial ingredients, and gluten. And everything comes packaged in recyclable glass containers. To learn more about why we love Zoop so much and to browse recipes too, visit ZoopBroth.com or go to at ZoopGoodReallyGood on Facebook and Instagram. Zoop Good Really Good Broth, Culinary Concentrates, and Soups can be found at retailers nationwide, including Walmart, Sprouts, and Kroger, plus online at ZoopBroth.com. Or order from Amazon and be sure to use 20 Feed Nove, short for November, to get 20% off your order through November 30th of this year. That's 20 F-E-E-D-N-O-V, short for November. 2024 is the year we're focused on finally reducing dinnertime overwhelm at Didn't I Just Feed You? And that means making grocery shopping easier and more cost-effective, especially when it comes to the foods we all tend to spend the most on, like meat. Enter ButcherBox, where you can count on incredible deals on premium cuts. At ButcherBox, you can choose a curated box or customize your order of 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, 
to stock your fridge with all the proteins you need for the week, month, or even the year at prices that are hard to come by at the grocery store. That's all your protein shopped for in one shot at great prices delivered to your door with free shipping. Just one change, switching over to ButcherBox, and you guarantee yourself fewer trips to the grocery store and savings that are hard to find at the supermarket. Dinnertime overwhelm be gone. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and use the code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You, to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. Is anyone else struggling with what to wear these days? I've been pretty frustrated with getting dressed over the last few months as I've navigated body changes, and some days I quite literally have no idea what to wear. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion. When I signed up, I took a style quiz, and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my life. I've been renting clothes from Armoire for a while now, and the more I rent, the more on point the suggestions get. Plus, you send what you wear back, which is a great way to try new styles without waste. Armoire also has such a fantastic range of options. Whether you're planning an outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or maybe a family event, or just need some updated options for everyday life, you'll be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to find time for an exhausting shopping day. Right now, Didn't I Just Feed You listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash D-I-J-F-Y. That is armoire.style, 
A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-I-J-F-Y to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. So then the, I, I'm sorry, we're not trying to make this whole episode about your mom, although I think that that, it, that we both have unique relationships I with our mom. I know that would be so good. <laughs> we both have unique relationships with our mom and with food. And so I think there's something interesting there. But because she's had s- several cancers and she's on medications, are there certain can and this may also probably applies to both your dad and your your in-laws as well. Like what are the food considerations for them? Like are there things that your mom doesn't like to eat anymore because her palate has changed because of the cancer treatments? And like same thing, you know, your father-in-law with his ALS, like is it there are there certain considerations and like what's easy for him to eat? Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I think it, it's it's actually kind of different amongst all three of them, right? Because it just depends on what their circumstances are. So for my father-in-law, it's, you know, foods that are going to be easily eaten because the his muscles are, are not quite where they've been. And I think eventually, I think he will have to have a feeding tube. Thank goodness he's not there yet. Also silverware, like that's not heavy to pick up or a cup that's not heavy. So we make sure that we have silverware and plates and cups that are like very light, um, but are not toddler cups, you know, because we don't want to be um, insulting to them. Yeah, um, again, so, it's that dignity and that exactly. autonomy. Yes, exactly. And they actually travel with their own set of silverware and, and dinnerware whenever they go. With my dad, there's definitely like, there are some medications where you can't eat after taking it for a little while. So we have to time our meals a little bit. And my dad is paralyzed on his whole left side and he is left-handed. So he's, there's not a ton um, that you can do that he can do on his own. If you cut his food up for him, he'll be able to eat it. But then you have to think again with the dignity, what kind of foods are you going to serve him that he can eat and not just make a complete mess out of? So we have, um, it's like a bib, but we call it a shirt saver, right? Because he's not a child. So we always have a shirt saver on him. And there's always sweeping or vacuuming to be done. But we try to set him up for success, again, as much as possible. And he's blind in his left side. So that somebody always has to sit next to him to like turn the plate so he can actually see the food that's there. Um, and then just like, because he can't, he doesn't have really a lot of control over his own body, we have to make sure that the foods that he eats aren't going to cause digestive problems for whoever's taking care of him later. And that part is really hard for me because my dad was an attorney. He was a, had cases in the Illinois Supreme Court. He's a very brilliant man, but he can't decide if he's going to have a drink of water or a cup of coffee or, you know, there's no like, I'm hungry or I'm bored. I'm just going to go see, you know, what's in the kitchen. Yeah. Literally, he can only have something if somebody brings it to him. And so there, that independence is already gone. And so sometimes he wants food that is really challenging because it's going to cause problems later. And I'm like, what do I do here? Because I don't want to deny his independence. He's already lost so much of it. But at the same time, I don't want to cause problems for my mom later on as well. 
Um, so I do my best just not to bring those foods into the house is my my workaround for that. Yeah. So you have a lot of parameters when you're meal planning. I would think that meal planning is actually the hardest piece of the puzzle. Because once you have those meals down, mm-hmm. it's about just executing, which can be chaotic and you need a system and a schedule and all that. But when you're meal planning, are mm-hmm. you making one meal for your parents and another meal for you and your kids? Or are you trying to come up with one meal that checks all the boxes on days when you're responsible for feeding other people? We come up with as much as possible, one meal that will check all the boxes. But our two older kids are a little bit older. So like the oldest kid, she doesn't have to come over if she doesn't want to. She has her own car. She's 19. You know, she can do what she wants. The 13 year old is perfectly, you know, she's happy to make herself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if she's she's not up for it. And fortunately, my toddler is not a picky eater. So she actually is up for pretty much whatever we have. But usually like Thursday nights, we have dinner as a family over at my parents' house and the same thing on Sunday nights as well. So we do our best to find a meal that everybody would like. And we probably honestly like have five in rotation that we just kind of go over and over and over again. And then of course there's sometimes where my mom's like, you know what, I think I want to cook for the family tonight. And then we're like, okay, we'll be over. (laughs) Um, Can you give us an example of some of the five meals that are in rotation? Yeah. So Chicken shawarma is really popular in my family, and it's very easy for me because I work from home on Thursday, so I can, like, get that marinating in the morning and then just, you know, cook it in the oven while I'm, you know, working, and then quickly, right before I leave, take it out of the oven and and move it over. Frozen meatballs is hugely popular, so that's actually what we're doing tonight. Um, And it's really easy because you can, if I have time, I'll make some pasta with it. Otherwise, sometimes we just have it on its own or in a sandwich, but everybody likes the meatballs. It's a universal winner. Tacos work well. That's hard for my dad. I've learned the taco folding technique that won't have everything fall out as much as possible. Yeah, those are kind of common. I need you to go on social media and show us the taco folding technique. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need to see that. <laughs> yeah, not just for your dad, but like for toddlers. Like, I think that's a real, there's that really interesting sort of like crossover there. We talked a lot about your parents and your in-laws, but like, what are the implications for being in this, this sort of like sandwich generation for your kids, both your teens and your youngest? Well, I mean, it's definitely taught all of us flexibility and not to hold things too closely. I mean, like the Thanksgiving example is, you know, perfect. Like we were having Thanksgiving here and then suddenly my husband was, you know, up, you know, taking care of his in-laws. So everybody kind of had to pitch in to, you know, help with our Thanksgiving. And I think that's fairly important is to, we do a lot of planning, but maybe somewhat paradoxically, we also don't hold those plans too tight. Yes. That's, you know, kind of important. I will say like our kids are pretty good at expressing when they're bummed because they thought they were going to have one meal and then we have to switch it up and do something else. There are times when I like get home and I'm just like, 
I know we have this plan for dinner, but I just need to order a pizza so bad right now. <laughs> and I, for some reason, I always think, oh, the kids are going to love that, right? Like, who doesn't, you know? And they're kind of like, well, I was really looking forward to, you know, what we had. Aww. And that's kind of an adjustment because you don't ever want to disappoint your kids. And, um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard as a mom to think like, I don't have the yeah. energy to feed you in the way that you are used to being fed and want to be fed. And that's like, it's a real, you know... <sighs> It's a blow. <laughs> and that's hard because when that happens, I'm already at an energy and emotional level that's like already bad, right? That's why I need to order the pizza. So um, so just trying to understand where we're all at. Um, and then, you yes. know, where my kids are at too, 19, 13, those are hard ages. So having some respect for, you know, what's going on in their lives is something that you just have to take a deep breath and like, okay, we'll, we'll get through this. Yeah. Totally. I mean, especially I can imagine being 19 and going home and expecting a home cooked meal. I mean, that that first year or two yeah. out of the house, you just feel like you're floating. It's it goes from being so exciting to being so scary and overwhelming, you know, and there's nothing like going home and having a home cooked meal that you were looking forward to. Right. And it's hard post pandemic, um, yeah. you know, all of that transitions they're just bumpier than I think they were in the totally. past. So, you know, I always really appreciate that. I will say when my youngest was a baby baby, there were a lot of considerations that we had. Like we always had a go bag in the car because we never knew if we were going to like be up in Milwaukee or had to go something else. And when she was little, we had to supplement her. So we always had formula. And then, you know, when she started to eat some baby food, because it was just easier and more peace of mind for me to know that I had that food right there. Um, and for instance, I will tell you that I had my daughter and I had a cesarean. And then five days later, we got a phone call saying, your father-in-law, like, come. It's, this is the end. You need to come. And I'm like, okay. So I like had been home from the hospital for two days. I'm breastfeeding for the first time. I'm in a lot of pain from like the surgery mm. and for breastfeeding. I still don't know quite how to feed my kid, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. And they're saying, you know, she's losing weight. You need to supplement. Mm. And like yeah. we're driving, but we have to like pull over so that I can feed her. And everybody's upset because of what's going on. And I don't, want to delay getting there, but then I need to figure out how to feed my kid. So there is just a lot of like managing those emotions and remembering like, you know, I'm, I was just like silently crying the entire time we were going up because yeah. I was in so much pain totally. and my kid's crying in the back and I'm like, we have to feed her. I don't know. You know, like, I, again, I'm like yes. five days into this. I don't know what I'm doing. That was hard, but it also kind of set me up to like give myself a little bit of grace, you know, like there was yeah. no question. And fortunately, my father-in-law recovered. Yeah. He was great, but there's like no question we're going. Right. And so we just have to learn how to figure out how to do it. And I feel like clear communication mm -hmm. must be key in all of this. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm saying that as someone who's a hyper communicator. So <laughs> that's obviously yeah. my natural bias. But when there's so many people and so many emotions and really big emotions. I mean, this is like a lot of real stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You know, even dealing, I think there's a lot of grief involved in just watching your parents grow old and watching their health fail, even before you're starting to think about, you know, their death. Mm -hmm. There's, it's hard. There, there's a lot of grieving that goes into that. And those are big feelings to have to navigate. So I imagine that talking 
is key in your family. <laughs> it is. We try to do it as much as possible. Um, you know, it's not always quite as easy as it's, you yeah. know, not everybody wants to is talk it about ever? it at the same yes. time, right? Yes. <laughs> but we, ever <laughs> we do try to as much as possible. I will say my husband, like, he's really great at it and he's you know so generous and patient and can kind of tease it out of all of us when we need to and he sees things coming from a, a distance in a way that i don't and it's nice to have somebody like that like okay here's probably the things that we're going to be navigating and that is really wonderful um we also do like try to model for our kids apologizing when we're not 100 percent in control yes. of the emotions, like, I'm really sorry, I was under stress, I, you know, shouldn't have yelled. Um, and we kind of talk about it um, as much as we can, but it's not perfect. I, I mean, I <laughs> I have probably, if I'm being honest, more moments I'm not proud of than I am when it comes to that sort of yeah. thing. I don't know. It sounds like you're really doing a really good job. And I'm struck, like, hearing all of the struggles and all the tension that, like, you still have these wonderful family traditions of like doing breakfast for dinner once a week and like your college mm -hmm. daughter coming home to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But also I feel like we have to talk about money. Like you had a baby in the last three years. That's a huge expense. And now you mm -hmm. have a kid in college. That is a huge expense. And you mentioned like daytime care for your dad. Like I, that's like not even, we're not even getting to the grocery implications of feeding multiple people or multiple generations so like can you talk about that and like how are you sharing that burden with your extended family who's maybe not able to be as present for taking care of your parents and your in-laws yeah I mean so when I I do some talking about this on the regular with you know different groups of people so I know that the average amount of money spent on taking care of parents is like $1,200 a month in extra expenses, which is a ton. And that's not anywhere wow. we come into play. But when you think about that, that's like, that's a mortgage, that's a lot of money. That's a mortgage. For it is. People. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, a lot. I, yeah. I will say like my, I have eight brothers and sisters. And when you divide that amount up, that's not the amount that we, you know, have, but that's just like the overall, it helps to divide that up. But there's definitely like we have to figure out what our priorities are. So we try to have, you know, a meatball dinner is like, you know, a frozen bag of meatballs is $6.99. And my mom usually has a can of green beans that we have on the side. Baked potatoes, like it actually those lesser expensive meals tend to coincide with also like fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> like or easy. I can, while I'm working from home, toss the baked potatoes in the oven and that's a nice meal. But we don't really do a lot of, like, a lot of extravagance, um, mostly because, like, our kids just, they're not into it. So, like, well, why spend a lot of money um, on a nice steak when my daughter is, like, not going to eat it at all? Totally. Um, so where we really kind of, like, lose control is, like, I just emotionally don't want to cook, and so we're going to order a pizza or something, you know, <laughs> or I'm just, like, completely exhausted or we forgot to thaw whatever we needed to do, yes. you know, you got to pivot. That's where like food expenses can kind of come in, into play. But yeah, I mean, we just, when we meal plan, we kind of keep that like breakfast for dinner, you know, eggs and bread or, you know, making a pancake is something that we can do. That's not going to be super expensive that all the kids will like that, you know, we can, 
we can we can budget adequately for. It's definitely a consideration. Yeah. I feel like feeding that number of people under any circumstance, it's hard to get extravagant yeah. because there are just so many tastes, especially when you throw teenagers and kids into the mix. Uh-huh. So I think it's a really good reminder for people that this this makes it makes sense to keep it simple. Like this mm-hmm. isn't pandering. It's yeah. actually good for your budget. It makes it easy to meal plan. It helps you, you know, be efficient with your time. Mm-hmm. Like simple meals also tend to satisfy. That's that's been our experience. And um, we had our middle daughter is great now, but she really struggled with picky eating when she was younger and, you know, had like five foods that she would eat, you know, and now she's great. But it it just kind of naturally led into kind of a little more simplification. And we have regulars that we, you know, we kind of have in the routine and we've switched grocery stores so that you know, we go to a different grocery store that's a little less expensive but we kind of hit the same number every week like we kind of have that down um where it's like maybe within a 10 or 20 dollar variation but like we kind of are able to stick with that okay so two questions the first one is how do you in those times when you're like stressed when you want to order mm-hmm. pizza when there's just like things are not going to plan how do you ask for help? And like, what are the things that are essential to you taking care of yourself so that you have the energy to do mm-hmm. all the care that you do for everyone? Mm-hmm. Not that great at asking for help. Um, Me either. I, Full transparency. <laughs> I hate it. I don't know why. I like tell people all the time, I'm like, just reach out. You need help. And I would jump. I would drop anything. But like, I'm not yes. asking for it. No. Nope. Yeah. 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 Um, it's we're also... asking you because we want ideas. <laughs> Come on, Laura. Well, I will tell you. So, uh, therapy is really good. Yes. Um, and one suggestion, I what I really struggle with is people can see that we're in need, and a common question is, "What can I do to help?" And sometimes I'm like, "Look around, everything's on fire. Just pick one fire and put it out for me. Just pick it." But they don't know, and they don't, you know, necessarily know is it going to be too intrusive if I come do your laundry or whatever? So my therapist, and in the moment, I never know. I just never know. She was like, make a list in a moment of calm of things that you would like, you would feel comfortable having somebody help out with that you can do. So that has helped. Um, My husband, I've also recently gone back to work in the office. So we try to food prep the night before, like, okay, we're going to have this, you know, the next day, what needs to be chopped? What can we do ahead of time as much as possible? So we're, we're pretty good as a team with that. Um, And then just like, I will say like, my mom is really great. I had, you know, if I have three or four days in a row that I'm over there for whatever reason, like I, I will say to my mom, I know it's Sunday night, but I just don't think we're going to come over. And she's completely understanding. You know, it's never, it's not an obligation. You know, she's, she can be flexible. It helps that I have so many siblings to be like, I just am overwhelmed. I'm underwater. It's really great to call a sister and just cry. I mean, it's, I'm really, I do a lot of crying just because that's my nature. I express every emotion through tears, but just talking about it helps. Honestly, for me, like starting to talk to other people and kind of, a lot of people just like having them feel seen and other when people tell me, you know, like, thank you for talking about this, because it's like I'm hearing my own story. It does. It makes me feel better. So just even like even you inviting me to come and talk about it helps me because it's it's kind of shines a light on an area that is is hard for a lot of people. Yeah. 
you mentioned to us and you're like when you first reached out that you're starting to sort of like share your experience and your learnings over the last you said eight years of like doing this what is the like best advice or like what's some top line advice you give someone who like they're just thrown into it maybe they have a parent have to like come and live with them and they have young Mm -hmm. kids and they're like ah your whole life kind of just exploded and is so different what advice do you give them Mm -hmm. i think being generous with yourself is the most important thing um I like to fix everything (laughs) and it's just not possible. So I think, you know, it really, as much as you can bring other people in and share the responsibility is helpful, but also I, you know, again, I kind of go back to like just planning as much as possible, even though I hate it. I hate meal planning. Like it takes us a long time every, and the reason we do it every two weeks is because I don't want to do it every week. It's terrible, but it pays off. It does pay off. I begrudgingly say, And then just really finding those things that are like for my own personal family, my husband and my kids, what is important to us that we're going to say, we're doing this. I'm going to the concert. I'm going to, we're having breakfast for dinner. Somebody else has got to take it, whatever, because there will be, it's hard for me to admit, but like life will go on. If I'm not over there, somebody will help. They'll make it through the night. I'm not like the linchpin of everybody making it through. And that has helped me, you know, immensely. And I would encourage people to to prioritize their own immediate family as much as it may be difficult to do because you want to help others. Totally. Before we sign off, we've talked a lot about the challenges and tips and techniques. Are there any unexpected joys and benefits that have come out of this experience of, you know, finding yourself taking care of your parents, maybe more than you expected? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, (laughs) I mean, I love my, my parents so much. They did so many amazing things for me, giving me seven brothers and sisters. And so I don't know, we probably all would still be really close, even if we weren't under these circumstances. But I get to see my brothers and sisters a lot. Because if one of them are here in town to take care of their dad, it's their Saturday. Then and then my kids get to see their cousins. You know, there's a lot of built in family um, things that we do that are just a ton of fun. Um, and that's been great to see, to see those moments. And then you just have these moments of ordinary life, like seeing my father-in-law used to play the piano and we have a piano in the house and, you know, him putting my daughter on her lap, on his lap at the wheelchair. And they're like both playing the piano, like, come on, it's wonderful. You know, it's just those, those times are really great. And then I will say like, after a particularly hard time and I've gotten through it and I look back and I think, okay, I did that. Um, I, you know, maybe I didn't do it perfectly. Maybe I've learned some lessons as how I would do it, you know, going forward, but it's given me a lot more confidence in honestly, the way that I parent going forward, the way that I do my full-time job going forward, Mm -hmm. that has been a a pleasant bonus, I guess. I mean, that's it. That's right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Complete (laughs) awe. I am. I mean, I, I'm just... I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today and taking the time. 
like how's this how's laura have time to be talking to us right now i don't know let's get let's keep it moving well i really appreciate it so much to do (laughs) there are a lot of people like me i i mean i i think you will probably find that i'm not unique and a lot of people are in this situation but a lot of times it's just assumed like that's just what you do right like i grew up watching my parents take care of their parents and yes and that's just what you do and that's how life is but it's been really helpful to pause and be like yeah but that's hard sometimes um and sometimes it's really great and but sometimes it, it helps to just acknowledge the difficulties along the way well we really appreciate you being here uh are you up for sharing if people can they, they need some support and they can reach out to you sure absolutely yeah you're more than welcome to share my email I'm on Instagram, but I'm like a lurker on Instagram. So <laughs> if somebody wants to DM me, like they can, yeah. they're just not going to see much on my page. If they we go won't there. like uh, have you share your email right here. But if yeah. someone needs support, we hope that they'll reach out to us at hello at Denai yeah, you, you and we'll connect like... you to Laura and some mm-hmm. of her resources. Thank you again yeah. for joining us today. Okay, Megan, I'm really struck by how it seems like fuel for powering through what seems to be a very challenging situation for Laura seems to be having this close, large family. She speaks with her mom and dad with such admiration. It's really beautiful. She mentioned offhandedly that she watched her parents take care of her grandparents. So this has been modeled generationally. She has a bunch of siblings to rely on. But I don't know that that's the case forever. I still think that the lessons that she has to teach are applicable for everybody. But I do feel like as someone who has a really different kind of family, it's important to acknowledge that that isn't the case for a lot of people. And that can make the emotional burden feel even heavier. Mm -hmm. So both you and I are in a position where I think it'd be really hard to have to care for certain parents, right? Yes. Yeah. One, it's like really interesting to hear Laura's perspective as the child of a social worker. So my mom grew, I grew up with my mom working in elderly care in like hospice for people who were dying. She actually went on to get her PhD in social work and made part of her thesis about bereavement and public education around grief. So this this aging transition is something that we have talked about a lot. Like my mom is very clear about what she wants Mm. her um, later in life care to look like, presuming that she just like doesn't have um, a huge diagnosis or a huge change, like having a stroke and requiring much more care, but assuming she just like ages what she wants her aging to look like. That is so key that again, I know I mentioned it. I was sort of stumbling through talking about communication. But, you know, communication doesn't always have to be like, let's have a talk about our feelings right now. But the fact that your mom has a sense of what she wants and is clear about that, I don't know, from where I sit, that seems really helpful. It's really helpful. But do know that it comes from a place of like her lived experience of like she watched dementia patients. She watched people who were aging 
have a sort of end of life care that wasn't what they wanted. And like, just to add some humor, because this is like a very heavy conversation. My mom has always, one of the things that she's been explicit about, she's like, I don't care if you have to hire someone or if you come in and do it. She's like, but do not let me be one of those old ladies with whiskers. (laughs) The nurses will, if you ask them to deal with your mustache, they will shave it. She's like, don't do me dirty like that. You come in, you wax it or you bleach it for me. That's my one ass. I'm literally right now adding that to my running list Yes, for when I get older. Yes. And like, she's like, that's, I think as she's aged, she's like, okay, maybe that's the, like a lower priority or she hits on it less. And maybe that was like her humor in dealing with a lot of the loss that she experienced. Um, And then the flip side of this. So like two things, I don't have a super close relationship with my dad. The last time he came to visit and the only time he's met my kids was when we lived in Boise. Um, it's like almost five years ago now. And I tried to have a conversation with him about, I was like, you know, mom, mom's really clear about like what she wants her end of life to look like. There's a will. will. We're all very clear on what our roles are as she ages at, as the end of her life. And he was like, I don't see why we need to talk about that. Okay. Like just no, yep. no acknowledgement of that. And to share my half brother, Jordan, who lived with us during the pandemic. His dad also came to live with us when he was living with it, with us in Boise. And we had a conversation with him about his end of life and what he would like. Cause we just, it was like the kind of thing where I was like, I asked my dad when he was here, have you guys had a conversation? Jordan didn't want to bring it up, but I was, I was like, I will, I'll be the weird older sister. And so they were able to have a conversation. And six months later, he died unexpectedly. Oh, man. And so they had been able to have that conversation yeah. and Jordan was able to navigate with his brother, like how they were going to like, he was going to be cremated and how he would like to be memorialized and all of those things that you don't want to talk about. Like, it sucks to talk about them, but like, you just don't know. So having the conversations well in advance of like having a cancer diagnosis, having a stroke is really important. But what about you? Because you've like you've lost your father already. You are the only living um, sibling. I sibling's not the right word. My mother's child only living child of your yeah. mother. Yeah, you know, and I will say that somebody that I think about also is my aunt. My mother's sister never had children, and I've always been very very close with her. And she married an older man who is now well into his late eighties. And so I also think about her being alone and not having any children of her own to take care of her. So those are the two people who are primarily on my mind is my mother and my aunt. I love them both. My mom and I have a hard relationship. You know, I, I also just want to acknowledge, I don't have any answers, but as a first generation person, I was recently reading about something called chunkla culture, which is the word chancla means flip-flop in Spanish. And this term, I believe, comes from the Latinx community. And it's sort of, I don't know if it's appropriate to call it a joke, but I would joke that my grandmother would like follow me around when she was mad at me with her slipper in her hand to like throw it at me or to spank me. That I think a lot of first and second generation Americans are part of a very, I think, new to me conversation around 
how to balance maintaining a culture and cultural identity, but also put boundaries in place. And it's really hard when you feel obligated to take care of your family. But maybe being in very close proximity to the same family you feel obligated to doesn't feel super healthy for you. So I think that's pretty extreme. I can't say that I quite fit there, but my mother and I have definitely done a lot of sparring and have had a lot of challenges over what she expects from me just because she's my mother and I'm her daughter that really comes from the old country and from our Greek culture and where like I draw the line, like a really simple one that I've probably joked about on the show is that, you know, in my mother's mind, she should be able to drop by my house at any time without warning, open the door, have her own key, come in, do whatever she wants to do in my house. And that really, really doesn't work for my personality. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a lot of tension there where like me putting that boundary and saying that's not something that you can do really hurts her because it's not just our personalities. It's a whole culture. It's what it's what her mother did to her. It's what she saw her grandmother do, you know, in their home when she was a little girl. And I'm saying, no, you can't do this. So this idea of, you know, having spent so much time, a lifetime really, of drawing boundaries and negotiating and finally finding like this good spot. And now all of a sudden our parents are aging and we have to renegotiate the whole deal because does my mom have to come live with me at some point? Like, I would never say no, but like, what does that mean (laughs) for me? Like, that's really deeply uncomfortable. Not because I don't want to care for her. I do very much. Not because I don't love her. I do very much. But like, that just doesn't work so great. And it's scary thinking about having to be in the sandwich generation. Yeah. And I can't wait to like bring this to the listeners group and have people share their experience. And, uh, you know, of course, our email, our DMs always open. You can hit us up at hello at didn't I just feed you dot com. People who are of the sandwich generation, which I feel like we that is whether you identify as Gen X or millennial. I just had a weird was Gen X, not Gen Z. Um, Whether you identify. yeah, Yeah. Whether you identify as Gen X or millennial. We are going to be caring for our aging parents at the same time that we're caring for like our teens and college students. And there's a financial burden. There's an emotional burden to all of that. Not everyone, whether it's like financial or emotional, is going to be able to take care of their family in the way that Laura is doing Um, So I'd love, I would really love to hear like the other experiences of people where it's like, maybe you just like, maybe financially you could, but like you own a tiny house and there's not place, a place for your parents to live. Our kids are among one of the first generations that isn't expected to do as well as us. So like, yeah, if your parents are aging and your kids are just leaving college or in their twenties, are they back home with you too? Like, that's a lot of people. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We're going to need bigger houses. We're going to need bigger Uh, houses and much more patience. And then there's, like, a whole affordable housing crisis. So it's just, like, really easy. It's really uncomplicated. Sandwiches. (laughs) Delicious. Just very excited (laughs) to have a sandwich podcast. No, but for real, this time I really want to hear from our community. And I really hope, I'm going to say that we've had a couple of emails 
where people have said, oh, I looked at the title of the How We Feed and I thought that's not relevant to me. I'm not going to listen. And then somehow they did end up listening and they really felt like they got something out of it. It's weird to say this at the end of the episode. Obviously, you've listened this far. but Hopefully you feel that way. And if you do, perhaps writing us a review or sharing the episode with a friend and saying you might skip this one or this might not be like the first place where you start, but I think you should listen to this one. Please let people know because the How We Feed episodes are really for us about hearing stories. And we do try to glean as many like universal tips and tricks as we can out of the conversations. But we just really believe that hearing other people's story and somehow you know, there'll be people out there who see themselves reflected in that story, even if not in its completion, and that that matters and that that makes a difference. So share these episodes. We mentioned it a couple of times, but we would love to have you in our Didn't I Just Feed You listeners community. We hope that you've joined us there. If not, join for free at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. Um, there you can get bonus episodes, the recipe subscriptions, so much more. So please feel free to join us there. And then you can keep in touch with us where we are on Instagram as at Didn't I Just Feed You or by signing up for our newsletter. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And like Stacey said, give us a rating, a review. They bring us joy. They help other busy home cooks find us. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacey. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review.